Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. I'm J.W. Cox, filling in this week for Scott Peterson. On this week's show, sports director Mike Grimm returns with another cancellation due to the response to COVID-19, this time at the collegiate level. Tasha Radel spoke with the Department of Education about their plans to assist local districts in their back-to-school decision-making. And I detail stories from state troopers and deputies in Minnesota on the front lines in the battle against distracted driving. But first, this... We are definitely in the political season. Presidential politics, a primary, and another special session all played out this week in Minnesota. Eminem's Bill Werner from the Capitol. J.W., ahead of the Democratic National Convention, which opens on Monday, presumptive presidential nominee Joe Biden this week named California Senator Kamala Harris as his vice presidential running mate. Some Minnesotans are disappointed it didn't work out so that Senator Amy Klobuchar was Biden's VP choice. But DFL Party Chair Ken Martin contends they will support Harris. Amy Klobuchar was one of the first people, uh, as she pulled out uh, herself out of the nomination for vice president, she encouraged uh, Vice President Biden to put an African-American woman on the ticket, and uh, he did. You've got Kamala Harris, you've got Ilan Omar, you've got the squad, you've got Tina Smith and Joe Biden all uh, in the same tent, as it were. Republican U.S. Senate candidate Jason Lewis says the choice makes it, as he puts it, pretty clear Joe Biden is not a moderate. You look at the massively uh, higher taxes that Kamala Harris has, has proposed, the Green New Deal, which would devastate the Iron Range um, and her lack of support for uh, law enforcement. Hamlin University analyst David Schultz says Biden made a logical choice in naming Harris his VP running mate. She is somebody who is obviously dramatically younger than than Joe Biden, which represents perhaps somebody who could run for president someday. She comes from a safe state of California where the Democrats are not in danger of losing the Senate seat Minnesota's primary election this week, a record number of absentee ballots coming in, probably fueled mostly by COVID-19, in a race that received national attention. Fifth District Congresswoman Ilhan Omar defeated fellow Democrat Antone Melton-Mukes by double digits. I have called and congratulated the Congresswoman because that's the right thing to do. Um, but I also think as a constituent and a person that loves this district that our elected leaders need to be accountable for the work that they do. Melton Mukes, a mediation lawyer, said in his campaign that Omar is more focused on her national profile than on representing the district. Omar strongly disagrees. I didn't ask to be a first. I didn't ask for the, the spotlight. Um, what I asked was for an opportunity to serve and make a difference. And that's what I will continue to focus on. Omar is a member of the group of Democratic Congresswomen known as the Squad, who have had frequent exchanges with President Trump. And former Lieutenant Governor and State Senator Michelle Fischbach is Republicans' challenger to Democratic Congressman Colin Peterson in Minnesota's 7th Congressional District. That after Fischbach bested a field of contenders by a wide margin in this week's primary. She says people don't like the agenda Democrats are pushing. We have a great example, you know, what's happening in the in the cities and what the Democrats are allowing to happen. And I think, that, you know, as I've travel around and talk to folks in the 7th District, that's what they're talking about. They want to see the country 
preserved. Minnesota Democratic Party Chairman Ken Martin says Fishbach has, quote, proven to be a fairly ineffective campaigner. I don't think she's going to have a, a fair chance in beating Colin Peterson this November. With the shutdowns and everything, and I think that people want to see the president be the one President Trump be the one that really moves us forward for that economic recovery we're looking for. Says Fishbach. The House will come to order. Lawmakers back in St. Paul this week for a third special session of the year, prompted by Governor Tim Walz, again extending his COVID emergency powers for another 30 days. Republican-controlled Senate voted to cancel the governor's emergency authority. Republicans in the House tried as well. This is no longer an emergency. Said Deputy Minority Leader Ann New. Democratic Majority Leader Ryan Winkler responded. The reason we can't get rid of the emergency orders and start having the legislature getting involved is because the legislature says and does bizarre things. The motion prevails. This special session is adjourned. Signe die. House Democrats ended the special session only four hours after it began, but Republicans in the Minnesota Senate, frustrated by unsuccessful attempts to cancel the governor's emergency powers, tried a different tactic. They removed one of Walls's cabinet members, Labor and Industry Commissioner Nancy Lepink, who oversees worker health, safety, and wage standards. A number of Republican senators went to the governor privately to say she's not doing her job, find another spot for her, let her save face. Republican Majority Leader Paul Gazelka, Democratic Minority Leader Susan Kent fuming about it. Is this extortion that unless the governor does certain things, they're going to threaten to take out another really important leader in his team and people who are doing the work for the people of Minnesota? I think they will attempt to do that. My job is that I want to just reassure Minnesotans we will put someone in that position. We will make sure we continue to do the things necessary to keep you safe. Governor Tim Walz. And Democrats open their national convention Monday, originally planned for Milwaukee, Wisconsin, but which will now be virtual because of COVID-19. Minnesota DFL Party Chairman Ken Martin, also a vice chair of the Democratic National Committee, says President Trump will figure into Democrats' message at their national convention. A big part of our message is not just going to be about Joe Biden and Kamala Harris and their vision for this country, but it's going to be about the disastrous record that Donald Trump's had these last three and a half years. Republican Party of Minnesota Chair Jennifer Carnahan responds. The Democrats on the left will never give this president any credit. They will never celebrate the great accomplishments that our country has seen. They won't celebrate how strong the economy has been under President Trump. They won't celebrate the largest tax reform in a generation. Republicans National Convention begins August 24th and then it is full speed ahead to the November elections. JW? More Minnesota Matters next. Hands can do incredible things. This is the sound of 326 hands playing Mozart. This is the sound of 10,942 hands showing appreciation. 64 hands building a house for the homeless. 142 hands swimming a triathlon. 18 hands winning the big game. And this is the sound of two hands helping to save a life. It's called hands-only CPR, and it's recommended by the American Heart Association. If an adult suddenly collapses, call 911, then push hard and fast in the center of their chest until help arrives. It's incredibly easy and effective. Hands can do incredible things, but nothing compares to using them to help save a life. Find out more about this latest method of CPR at handsonlycpr.org. A message from the American Heart Association and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. 
The Big Ten Conference announced this week it was pushing the fall sports season into the spring. Golden Gopher Athletic Director Mark Coyle joined Eminent Sports Director Mike Grimm in an exclusive interview when the decision was announced Tuesday. On day one, the Big Ten Conference made it very clear that every decision we would make would be based on the health and safety of our student athletes, our coaches, our staff, and our fans. And I can tell you I've been on almost daily Zoom calls uh, with Commissioner Warren and the fellow athletic directors in the Big Ten Conference talking about COVID-19, talking about uh, everything that's impacting all of us from many different areas. And again, we kept at the center of our target the health and safety of our student athletes, coaches, and fans, et cetera. And so based on the information, there's just too many uncertainties right now. And we felt like we had to provide our kids with some certainty right now and let them know that we're going to postpone and we'll look to play these sports in the spring. You had a chance to meet with uh, many of the student athletes involved with this decision. And I know you've, you and I were just talking, and it's disappointment certainly that fall campaigns get has been pushed back there's a chance that this can happen in the spring but what was the meeting with the football the soccer the volleyball and the other student athletes like today for you well first I thank them uh, you know I, I hope people understand how special our kids here at the University of Minnesota are our football team our volleyball team our soccer team they've been back since early July and those kids have done everything we've asked them to do and I'm so grateful to them you see programs across the country that had to shut things down we haven't had to do that here because our kids have done everything the right way, and I thank them. I also told them that none of us have ever been anything through anything like this. This is a first time for all of us. And I said the only way we're gonna get through this is if we do it together, we stick together, we have open and honest conversations. And throughout the entire five month process, we've tried to have weekly calls with our student athlete representatives to give them updates on what's going on with not only our department, but what's going on at, at the Big 10 level. And so when I talked to our team, we talked about Hey, we're hitting the pause button right now. We're going to continue to work hard. We're going to continue to represent this institution, this state, in a first-class manner. And we're going to do everything we can to bring you back in the spring and play a safe season if we're allowed to. Coaches, what have the coaches' uh, feedback from them? Because I know there have been some coaches in the conference that were pushing hard that they wanted to play in the fall. And we all wanted to play in the fall, right? But what, what have the coaches' uh, response been like? Mike, I am so humbled to work with the coaches we work with here. Again, we've had almost weekly calls with our head coaches and with all of our assistant coaches on these Zoom calls. And again, they have been in complete support and they clearly understand. We want to make sure that when we do this, we do it the right way and we do it where we provide that health and safety for our student athletes and everybody involved. And so, you know, I had a chance to talk to PJ before I met with the team. I had a chance to talk with Hugh and with Steph going with our volleyball soccer teams. And they've been absolutely phenomenal because our kids are going through a lot. We've all been on a roller coaster. We've all gone through the ups and downs, and our coaches have been phenomenal. And, and I made it very clear, you know, we have a football program. As you know, we won 11 games for the first time since 1904, right? We're not taking the foot off the gas pedal. We're, we came here to win. We came here to compete at a high level, and I made that commitment to our football student-athletes and to Coach Fleck, and we're going to continue to do that. We have a volleyball team that's been to three Final Fours in the past five years. They're a national championship team. We're going to do everything we can support them. We have a soccer team that's dying to compete. They won the Big Ten Conference a few years ago that wants to compete at a high level. We're going to do everything we can to support them. So we've made it very clear to our coaches, to our student athletes, and our staff that this is a chance for us to grow. We're hitting the pause button, but we're going to continue to grow, keep our foot on the gas pedal, and continue to make this institution, this state, proud of what Gopher Athletics does. 
football-wise, the, the schedule was announced on Wednesday, and I know a lot of work went into that, and it was organized in a way that was going to have some flexibility as you know, things happen. Uh, did something change from Wednesday until today, last week, until now, or was it just one of those things that you had to, how, how did that planning process go that way? Yeah, well, well there's a couple steps. First off, uh, you have the chance to travel with us, being the voice of the Gophers, when you travel to the football program. You see all the logistics and all the behind-the-scenes things that happen from the time the buses show up here <laughs> to the time we get on the airplane to the time we land at our destination or you've seen all the work at home games so we wanted to provide a schedule for our student athletes and our coaches so they can start to prepare for the season but we also need to do that for all the logistical stuff behind the scenes so that's why that schedule was put together and you're exactly right there's a lot of flexibility built into that schedule so if we had to push back or if we had to move games to the end we could do that but the second part of it was if you recall football training camp opened up last friday august 7th uh, some of our teams were able to open up on August 5th because they were going to play on that Thursday night, that opening weekend. But when we started, there's, there's a two-day period where you just kind of do shorts and t-shirts, you do conditioning, light work, and then you start to put on the helmets and the pads. And the contact tracing, we still don't have an answer for contact tracing. And so we felt like as we moved to phase two, if you will, of football practice specifically, we were concerned about the contact tracing, how that would impact our program here at Minnesota and across the Big Ten. So as we started to make that transition over the weekend, the Big Ten put out a statement that we're asking people to kind of pause the workouts a little bit. So we still had workouts, but they were more walkthroughs, very light in, in what they were doing. And then we, as we looked at going to the pads, we just felt like we needed to hit the pause button. Let's postpone the season till the spring. It gives us a chance to get more medical information. It gives us a chance to learn from our peers across the Big Ten Conference. And again, our goal is to play a safe season where everybody's healthy and safe in the spring. Based on talking to presidents, chancellors from around the league, and then the medical experts with all the great research institutions here, what do you think at the end of the day has to happen to have sports? You mentioned the tracing. Is that the biggest thing, do you think? Or what, what, what do you think has to happen? Well, in, my, in Mark Coyle's humble opinion, again, not a medical doctor. I want to make that very clear. In my humble opinion, uh, you know, we keep talking about the importance of social distancing, right. wearing your mask, washing your hands, making smart decisions. And our kids have done a phenomenal job of being very responsible. We all need to do a phenomenal job of being very responsible. But again, think about how much we know more now than we did when you and I were together March 12th in Indianapolis. Right. Remember back then, we were scared to touch door handles. We were scared to get on an airplane and fly back, if you remember those times, right? So I'm hopeful as we continue to gather more information, we'll learn how to better understand contact tracing. We'll be able to better understand some of the impacts of COVID-19 on the young men and women that's impacted so far. So right now, time is our friend. And so if we can practice good social distancing, make smart decisions, and rely on the medical experts, we'll get to where we need to get to. That's University of Minnesota Athletic Director Mark Coyle on Minnesota Matters. As area school districts develop their plans on what learning will look like this fall, the Minnesota Department of Education says they're dedicated to helping provide the safest learning environment during these times of COVID-19. MNN's Tasha Radel has more. The new school year for many Minnesota students begins on September 8th. Joining me now is Minnesota Education Commissioner Mary Catherine Ricker. Commissioner, I know a few weeks ago the announcement was made that school districts could decide on one of three state-recommended models on how to reopen schools amid the COVID-19 pandemic. Can you tell me a little bit about the process and how we got to these different planning scenarios? What went into that was a localized approach, knowing that we do have localized data on what the pandemic is doing close to, closer to home now, as well as that data-driven approach. 
So what is the data saying? And then what does science say we can do to protect and create healthy school communities? So what are those public health requirements that we could put in place that would create a healthy hybrid model or a safe in-person model, for example? So those are the things that went into the determination of what the safest and healthiest learning model is going to be for our schools from this fall. Commissioner, when we look at those models, it reflects that younger kids really need that in-person learning. Is there a push to get them back into the classroom sooner rather than later? That's right. And right now, our school leaders are balancing an incredible amount of information. And and that's why we want to be there to support them. Uh, All of our educators recognize that in-person learning is some of the highest quality learning we can offer our students and their families. Knowing we're still in the midst of a pandemic, though, we have to make these environments safe and healthy. And so wanting a model that both prioritizes getting students, as many students in school as possible, and then prioritizing our youngest learners where we can, alongside what those safe and healthy public health priorities are going to be that we can implement to make sure we create that balance of in-school and safe. Commissioner Ricker, I understand you have been working very closely with the districts. Has this been beneficial in forming these different models? Right. We have been talking to teachers and paraprofessionals and, and school principals and administrators from across the state. And one of the things I am hearing most consistently is that they want to be involved in these plans. They have an incredible amount of expertise. They, uh, many teachers and school principals and paraprofessionals bring with them years of experience meeting the needs of students, they can think through uh, tapping into that experience what the safest and highest quality distance learning model looks like or hybrid model looks like or that that safe and healthy in-person model during this pandemic as well. And so involving your educators is one of the smartest things a school leader can do. And in a worst case scenario, and I I wish we lived in a perfect world right now, but are there plans in place for when school staff or child do test positive or present symptoms of COVID-19? So the first thing I want to assure our educators as well as our students and our families out there on on is that our Department of Health has experience with how to support our school systems um, when a case is present. Uh, Actually, experience pre-pandemic, where they supported schools in the past that have perhaps had a flu outbreak um, or other other medical concerns. And and so the first thing we're going to do is something that we've heard just become very familiar to all of us now, right? We are going to we're going to test that case, we're going to isolate that case, and then we're going to do contact tracing. And this is where, after uh, a learning model has been chosen, what we've been calling a sort of a scalpel approach to a school system will come into play. It may be that there is a classroom that we need to move to distance learning for two weeks so that we contain that 14-day incubation period and keep everybody safe and create the sort of welcoming, um, safe environment for students to come back. It may be that in a school district, it might just be one school that needs to move to that distance learning model during that incubation period, but another school uh, does not have the, the same level of um, 
of, you know, it doesn't have any evidence of, of the virus, and so they can maintain what the current learning model may be. And we're going to work with school systems to make sure they know what their options are to keep students safe and healthy and continue to um, remain, remain committed to their learning, quite frankly. So it really sounds like districts could be juggling all three models at one time or perhaps a mix from school facility to school facility throughout the district. What I see a lot of school leaders doing right now is is something that I think is really smart because, first, they're telling their community that we're in this together, that, you know, that when we see cases go down in the community, that means we're creating safer learning environments for our students. So let's all mask up. Let's all wash our hands. Let's all practice that physical distancing. And and so absolutely, and we're seeing a lot of plans uh, name what their initial learning model may be to start the school year, say September eighth, and then they and and then they've told their school communities because it's really helpful on students and families and and staff for that matter to have some of that predictability. Maybe they've named a a date out by which they will review their model and determine if they can actually expand in-person learning opportunities. So they may say, um, on October 1st, we're going to review again, or on October 10th, um, we're going to review again and determine that if we can expand in-person learning opportunities, we'll make a decision then, and then we will um, we'll tell you what date we'll actualize that decision. Thanks again to my guest, Minnesota Education Commissioner Mary Catherine Ricker. Back to you, JW. More Minnesota Matters next. It's Thursday night, and you're grabbing drinks with some friends. Started off with a pitcher for the table, which quickly becomes two. There's pool. And there's the photo booth. All right, everybody, squeeze in. Say cheese. Followed naturally by an order of wings. And another. Can we get some extra ranch sauce? Then there's the ceremonial nightcap. So what are we doing this weekend? And lastly, it's back to the car, which, if you're buzzed... could be the most expensive night of your life. Getting pulled over for buzz driving could cost you around $10,000 in fines, legal fees, and increased insurance rates. Nothing kills a buzz like getting pulled over for buzz driving, because buzz driving is drunk driving. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. As we enter the waning days of summer, law enforcement from around the state launching a statewide impaired driving campaign. The aim educating people to make the smart choice in planning a sober ride. Traffic Safety Director Mike Hansen says there's a problem that the Drive Smart, Drive Sober campaign will be aimed directly at addressing. Last year, 89 Minnesotans lost their lives on our roadways as a direct result of an impaired driving decision. This is not acceptable, and every one of those fatalities was completely preventable. It takes good, smart decision-making in order to prevent these tragedies from happening. 
The Office of Traffic Safety, utilizing federal overtime funding, will partner with law enforcement agencies from across the state, over 300 of them, over the next three weeks as we work to raise awareness and to remove those impaired drivers and those who make that impaired driving decision from Minnesota roads. Each year, the Department of Public Safety honors officers that have been impactful in getting drunk drivers off the road. One of those so-called DWI All-Stars was Chris Arkell who shared a story of a drunk driving incident he saw personally on Father's Day 2018. I stopped an individual for speeding. He was with his family as he was traveling to uh, dinner to have for celebrating Father's Day. While talking to him about the reason for the traffic stop, I noticed several signs of a controlled substance impairment, specifically methamphetamine. I asked him to step out of the vehicle. He did so. Uh, we spoke about what I noticed, what I was concerned about. Uh, he did admit to using methamphetamine, uh, stated that he works as a laborer. One of his co-workers was able to uh, work without resting, that kind of thing, and he, he wanted to be able to work as much as this guy did. So he started using methamphetamine as a way to supplement his uh, ability to work. Subsequently arrested him for DWI, uh, processed him, also found a small amount of methamphetamine on him. Um, at the time of the stop, Dealing with somebody that has their entire family in the vehicle while they're impaired, whether it's drinking or drugs, uh, is a big impact. Seeing that they're not only putting people's lives in danger on the road, their own life, but also their entire family is kind of sobering thought. I also had the pleasure of meeting Aaron uh, January 2020. Stopped him again for speeding. Uh, Aaron, I didn't recognize him initially. He, he told me that I had stopped him previously and that I had arrested him for DWI. He told me that that day changed his life around. His family didn't know that he was a user of methamphetamine until he was arrested, and that helped him gain their support and get sober. So I just ask that people think about these things uh, when they're using different substances. Don't get behind the wheel. If you need help, if you're addicted, there are resources for you out there, and we ask that you reach out to us so we can help that's what we want to do is help. Deputy John Grimes, another 2020 recipient of the DWI All-Star Award, has his own personal story of encountering an accident caused by a drunk driver on Valentine's Day 2019. As I got closer to the crash scene, I heard someone inside of the truck yelling for help. A man who I later learned was the driver was standing in the cab of the truck with his feet near the passenger side window and his head and arms were extending out of the driver's side window. A second person was partially ejected from the vehicle, with the vehicle coming to a rest on top of her. I knew at that moment there was nothing I could do to save that woman's life. I then turned my attention to getting the driver out of the vehicle. Once the driver was out of the truck, he stumbled back to my squad where I was able to provide medical aid to him. As I was tending to the driver, he was yelling over and over that his girlfriend was dead. The driver smelled of alcohol and told me he had 10 to 12 beers and was the driver of the vehicle when it crashed. These two were less than a mile away from their home. I struggled for a long time trying to accept the fact that there was nothing I could do to save this woman's life. I will never forget this night. I will never forget the cries for help and I'll never forget the helpless feeling of having to walk away from this woman. After this night, I made it a goal to get impaired drivers off the road every night I worked. I know there are a lot of impaired drivers who refuse to call for a sober ride home. 
The death I dealt with on Valentine's Day of 2019 could have easily been avoided. While I'm dedicating the rest of my life to getting drunk drivers off of the road in honor of the woman who lost her life, I ultimately hope everyone makes the right decision before getting behind the wheel. So please, if you have been drinking, call for a sober ride home and make it home safely. As for this year's enforcement campaign, State Patrol Lieutenant Gordon Shank says the bottom line, before tragedy finds those drunk drivers, they hope a trooper will. If you make this bad decision, you're going to run into a DWI all-star or another trooper officer, deputy, or someone else that's going to arrest you if you're driving impaired. Don't take the risk. Make sure you drive smart. Extra enforcement runs now through September 7th. And that'll do it for another edition of Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson. On behalf of all of us here at MNN, thanks for joining us and tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.